So I'm curious as we begin this morning, how many of you like to fish? How many of you like to fish? All right. Not a lot of you, a few of you. Um, fishermen or, or fisher women, to be inclusive this morning. Most of us, though, probably have heard fish tales, fish stories. Those stories that um, seem to surround those who like to spend time on the water, the, the remarkable, amazing, unexplainable stories that happen around the, the experience of, of fishing. There was a, was a fisherman who, um, who he and his wife were blessed to have twin boys. And as the pregnancy was progressing, they couldn't figure, na- they couldn't agree on names for the boys. Some of you may have been there, maybe you and a spouse, struggling to find a name for, for your child, and, and kind of, they just couldn't, couldn't agree on names for the boys. Finally, the day came, the twins were born, they still didn't have names. So, so the husband said to his wife, says, listen, we don't need to be in a hurry. Let's not worry about naming them right now. Let them grow a little bit. Maybe through their behaviors and, 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 and the uniqueness of their personalities, name will, will come to us. It'll just become obvious what their name should be. So the wife agreed. So they had the boys and they didn't name them. Well, as the boys started to grow, the father started to know something very unique, that, that no matter where they were and how they were, were positioned, one of the boys would always face the sea. No matter where they were, he always oriented himself facing the sea. But the other child would always orient himself facing the land with his back to the sea. So one was always facing toward the sea. One was always facing away from the sea. So the the father said to his wife, he said, that's the name. That's it. We will name the child who's always oriented facing the sea. We will name him towards because he's always standing towards the sea. And we will name the other child away, because he is always facing away from the sea. So they raised their boys towards and away. When they became young men, the father, don't you get ahead of me now. The father, the father decided that it was time for the boys to learn the family trade. So he spoke to his wife and planned their first big fishing expedition. And so he outfitted the boat. They, were planned, they planned to go for three months on their first fishing trip, fishing expedition. So they left, and the mom waved goodbye to her husband and, and two boys. Three months later, they didn't return. Six months later, they still hadn't returned. A year, they hadn't returned. One year turns into two years. Two years into three, the mother is in despair, believing that she has lost all the men of her life, her husband and her sons, until one day she sees in the distance a figure, a lone figure walking toward her. And she immediately recognizes it's her husband. And she runs out to greet him. And she says, what happened? Where, where have you been? And what happened to the boys? And the husband looked at him and said, it was awful. It was terrible. The first day at sea. And Tord hooked a fish. And it was a monster fish. Every bit his equal. And hour after hour and day after day, they wrestled with neither one giving an inch After a week of battling this fish, Tord started to fatigue. And the fish toward him, pulled him toward the edge of the boat and eventually pulled him off the boat and into the water. And in one fast moment, the fish swallowed Tord and neither one of them were seen again. The mother looked at him and said, oh my 
gosh, that is awful. That is horrible. What a huge fish that must have been. And her husband said, oh, it was, but you should have seen the one that got away. Don't you groan at me. Don't, don't you groan at me. Here's what I know. In a year, I don't need heckling from you. In a year, you will have forgotten most of the sermon, but you will remember that story. It's a fish story. And yes, it's grown worthy. And I want you to know, I want you to know that before I used that, I tested it on Tony last night and she said it was okay. So... If I'm going down, she's going with me. It's a fish story, and it's a groan worthy, and I, and, I, and I get it. A fish story. This morning, we're talking and we're reading from the book of Jonah. And Jonah is, well, before I even say it, when I say Jonah, what do you think of? Whale, right? Yes, the swallowed by the big fish, swallowed by the whale. Jonah's the Old Testament fish story, not in a fictitious way like what I told, but it's this miraculous, unexplainable, remarkable story that, that centers really around, or at least that focal point, becomes Jonah swallowed into the fish or the whale, into the belly of the whale. And, and if we're honest, that's probably, for many of us, that's really what we know of the story. Probably not a whole lot of the, the experience of Jonah we may remember. We remember that part, but there's so much that happens both pre prior to that and following that that is really, really important for us. And that's what we're going to spend some time on this morning, not really focusing on the events of, of Jonah being swallowed by the, by the whale, but what are the events that led up to it and what are the events that, that followed it. Because before we get to that, and we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3, here's part of the, the story to, to flesh it out a little bit. God calls Jonah as his prophet to go to Nineveh. To, to preach, to proclaim God's message. And Jonah wants no part of it. Jonah wants no part of it. So rather than going toward Nineveh, he gets on a boat for Tarshish. And that's where the storm comes. That's where the, the events that many of us remember. The storm comes, uh, the fishermen or the men on the boat recognize we've got a problem passenger. Jonah says to them, I'm the problem Throw me overboard. This is God's judgment for my unfaithfulness. Throw me overboard. They do. The whale swallows Jonah. He's spit back up on dry land. And that's where we pick up the story. So we're coming just on the heels of that miraculous fish story this morning. And this is what we pick up. When we read verses 1 through 5, then I'm going to finish and jump ahead and finish with verse 10. This is what we read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. 
Lord, speak your word. Through your word and through these words, may your voice be heard. May we be open to your challenge for our lives, to your message of truth for our lives, our walk with you. Lord, speak to us. These moments, they are yours. Do with them as you will. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so here's the question I'm going to start with. And you may have heard this asked before. It's not um, new to me. But if you were guaranteed success, if you knew you could not fail, to put that a different way, if you knew you could not fail, what would you try immediately? What would you endeavor to do? What would be the direction of your life right now if you knew you could not fail? That is an interesting question for us to ponder. What would I do? What, what are the things I would try? Or what are the things you would try if I knew that I couldn't fail? And the reason I want to start with that is because I want to begin to frame our thoughts with a recognition that very often one of the great inhibitors of our life, that one of the, the, the realities that boxes us in is fear. One of the things that keeps us from trying new things or, or taking steps of faith is fear. Fear of failure, fear of things not working out, fear of, of, of the events and the desires not going our way. Fear affects behavior. Jonah is a prophet who is driven, if you will, by fear. Jonah's afraid. Now, here's what we need to know about Jonah. Circumstances surrounding his life are important. Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Believe that he's referenced in 2 Kings chapter 14. Jonah had started his work, his ministry, if you will, where Jeroboam, during the reign of Jeroboam II, which was a very prosperous time for the northern kingdom of Israel. But it didn't last. And in 722 BC, Israel was overthrown, was overtaken by the Assyrian Empire, which was the dominant empire of the day. And they captured and, and overtook much of the land there of, of the Mediterranean. And they were cruel taskmasters. They demanded heavy tributes from the territories that they, they took over, taxes if you want. And, and their rulers and their kings and their militaries were, were known as extremely bloodthirsty and, and sometimes extremely barbaric. The Assyrians were hated by the people of Israel for what they had done and were doing to the northern kingdom, which was decimated under their, their rule. Now, why is that important? Well, it, this is why it's important. Because during that time, when Jonah is called to go to Nineveh to proclaim the word of God, you need to know this. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Jonah is called to go to the capital city of the people who were the oppressors of the Israelites to proclaim the word of God. I tried to think of a modern scenario that would, that would resonate with us. And this is, this is harsh, but imagine God's word calling you to go to Syria to preach 
to ISIS. Now, see, every service, there's been that, you know, that, woo, who, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. And that's exactly Jonah's reaction. And I don't think that's a far-removed connection there because God's calling him the very seat of the power that they see as the oppressors and, if we want to use it, as their own terrorists. And God calls him to go to preach his word. And so God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. If you remember, and as I said earlier, and Jonah decides, well, you know what? How about I go to Tarshish instead? How about I go in a different direction? Now, historians kind of argue, they try to figure out where the modern city of Tarshish would be. They're not 100% sure. But one of the beliefs is that Tarshish today is what we know as the island of Sardinia in the Mediterranean, which is a beach resort community now. And I'm thinking, that's where I'd go. (laughs) Right? Right? Yes, Lord, I will serve you. You know what? There's some great places in the Caribbean that need to know about Jesus. Can I go there? And that's that's where Jonah wants to go. It's interesting that Eugene um, Peterson, in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant, he talks about the fact that for many of us, our problem is not hearing the voice of God. We talked about hearing from God last week. He said, for many of us, our problem is not hearing God's call. Our problem is we want to choose the destination where we're called to go. That's what Jonah wants. It's not that he doesn't hear God. For many of us, it's not that we don't hear from God. It's that we would rather be our own travel planners and that we would like to kind of dictate where God sends us. And that's what Jonah does. He does not want to go to Nineveh, understandably so. So he goes the opposite direction. And that's where the fish story comes in. The storm, the whale, spit up on land. And that's what verse three or chapter 3, verse 1 picked up on. But here's the interesting thing. Again, verse 1, this is what he said. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Now, here's the interesting thing. That's a redundant verse in the book of Jonah. Jonah's four chapters. You can read it in about five minutes if you're not aware. It does not take very long. There's not much to the story. But this is the second time this verse roughly has been read in Jonah. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, this is what we read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because it is wicked, its wickedness has come up before me. So what happens in verse 1 of chapter 1 happens again in verse 1 of chapter 3. Jonah hears God's voice. Go to Nineveh and preach. Here's the difference. In chapter 1, Nineveh, Jonah doesn't go. In chapter 3, the very next thing we read is, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. You think so? Think a few days in a whale might convince you you don't want to try to outrun God? So he does. He goes. But understand, he's a reluctant prophet. He goes, but God doesn't give him a lot of wiggle room here. God doesn't doesn't exactly let him off the hook, so he goes. And this is the way I imagine. He goes, but I think he goes with an attitude. I think he goes with an attitude. I'll go. Fine. I'll do it. But don't ask me to do it well. Because I want you to hear, I will preach to you, again, 
Jonah's entire sermon to the Ninevites. Because it's all right here, verse 4. This is Jonah's message. This is the sermon. This is the word he proclaims. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Amen, let us pray. <laughs> That's the sermon. That's it. I can just see him stomping through the city. Fine, I'll do it. Forty days, you're done. That's it. I mean, he clearly didn't sit down at his computer and spend a lot of time crafting this message. If I got up on a Sunday morning and came to you and said, Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you. Let us pray. Okay? I knew you'd say that. I knew, I knew you wouldn't let that go. Here's the thing. It would be true. That's a true message, true sermon. You would know I didn't spend a lot of time on that. You'd know that that didn't take a lot of time to craft. But, well, that's what Jonah does. He goes, hand-forced a little bit. He proclaims the message, but he does it with fear and, I think, with attitude. And so that's it. Forty more days and God's judgment is coming. And that's the message. Here's what's remarkable. It worked. It worked. The next thing the scriptures tell us is that a city of over 120,000 people repented. They took seriously the message. They put on sackcloth, which is a sign of repentance. They confessed before God. They had an awakening of faith because of this half-hearted message. And that's the first takeaway that I get when I read the story of Jonah. That, that, that humbles me a little bit. And this is it. That sometimes God does remarkable things because of you. Sometimes God works in remarkable ways because of me. Because of our talents and our gifts and our abilities. Sometimes that's how God works. But sometimes God does remarkable things in spite of you. And in spite of me. Sometimes God simply desires that we show up and allow his spirit to work far beyond our abilities. Now, I would hope that we don't do it with the attitude that Jonah had. But I'm reminded so often how God works in remarkable ways that I can't explain and isn't any credit to me. I remember not, not so long ago getting a phone call. And there was a, somebody who wanted to come and talk. He was having a tough time in their life. And they wanted to come share. And they wanted to seek some guidance and, and some, some insight. And, and so I scheduled the time. And this person came in. And, and we sat and we talked. And here's what I remember so vividly about that conversation. I couldn't find anything to say that I felt helped. I couldn't find anything to say that I thought gave any sense of comfort or, or wisdom or direction into this person's life. I can remember having that conversation in my head, just praying, Lord, help me find something to say, to speak into this person's life. And when we finished and we closed in prayer and that person left my office, I remember feeling almost a sense of despair because I thought I didn't do a darn thing. That was a complete waste of his time because I had nothing to offer. About a month later, I get a note in the mail from this person. Thank you for your time. Thank you for speaking. I can't tell you how much it helped. 
okay. But it reminded me, now, did I just, am I being humble? Did I offer something more than I thought I did? No, I didn't. I honestly, that's not, that's not uh, me overstating it. God just showed up. God showed up. And in the, being there and being present and being willing to at least be in the moment, God worked not because of me, but in spite of me. God does that over and over. That's what God does here. The Ninevites come to faith. Come to faith, not because of Jonah, but in spite of Jonah. Sometimes we just need to be present. We need to show up. We need to be willing to be in the places that God calls us to. And so at this point, this ought to be the celebration of a great story. But remember, I told you that Jonah was driven by fear. Now our tendency is to think that he was driven by fear of failure, that the people would reject him, that his life would be in danger, because that's the way most of us would think. But that's the exact opposite of the fear that drove Jonah. Jonah was not afraid of failure. Jonah was afraid of success. Jonah was afraid that the people of Nineveh, his enemy, the enemy of Israel, his fear was not that they would reject his message, but they would receive his message. And the fear that drove him was their salvation. Now, if you think I'm wrong there, listen to the very next verses in chapter 4, just the opening verses of chapter 4. After verse 10, it says that, the gods, that God spared the people because of their faith. He relented on the destruction. This is what we read. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. God's grace, God's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. If you'll let me interject, this is what I was afraid of. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah wasn't afraid of failure. Jonah was afraid of success. He was afraid that the message of compassion and grace would be received. He didn't want the people delivered. He wanted them judged. And in fact, later on in chapter 4, it says he picked himself a good spot on a hill to watch the city be destroyed. Here's the tough question. Who are your Ninevites? Who are my Ninevites? We will affirm God's grace. We will affirm God's forgiveness for all people because we know, most of us that go to church know that's the message. But let's really dig deep. Let's go deep down in uncomfortable places. Who are the people that you'd rather see judged than saved? Who are the people that just seem to be outside that circle? 
Because that's what this story was meant to remind the people of Israel. The story of Jonah became a very important part of their narrative in the years after their exile, when the nation was reestablished. And they began to become very comfortable with their status as God's chosen people, and very comfortable with the status of the Gentiles as the people outside of the purview of God's love and grace. And the story was meant to remind them, as it does us, but specifically for those who were God's chosen people, that to be God's chosen people was not a call of privilege, it was a call of responsibility. That their task was not to be people that hoarded God's grace, but that shared God's grace. And that proclaimed it to the world. They were the instrument through which God would use to share his love to the world. That becomes the message of Jesus. Who are Ninevites? Will Williman is a previous bishop, or I guess still technically is a, is a bishop in the United Methodist Church, also a, a professor and teacher at Duke Divinity School. I got to know Dr. Williman a little bit my time as a student. And he was reflecting in something I read about that, that, those words that Jesus speaks at the end of Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he says, you know, we read that as a promise. I am with you always, and it is. But he said, and sometimes we should also understand it's also a little bit of a threat. It's a little bit of a threat. Because remember what Jesus said prior to that. Go therefore to all nations, baptize, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go therefore to all nations, to all peoples, to all places, and just remember, I'm with you. I'm there. I'm there. Who are you Ninevites? I don't mean people that live halfway around the world. I'm talking about the people in our own neighborhoods, the people who think differently than you, behave differently than you, have different political ideologies, different faith ideologies. Who are the people that if you're really honest, you get more comfort after imagining them before a, a, a God of judgment than you do a God of grace? That's your Nineveh. And you and I, because I have them too, need to be real, open, and transparent to God. Because Jonah reminds us that even those whom seem the most unworthy of God's love are offered God's love. And that's really good news for us. Because some of us can make ourselves pretty seemingly unworthy at times. But the gospel says you're never outside that gift. But as we are not outside that fence, don't ever place others outside it. God uses us when we show up. But where are the places that we don't really want to go? Open your heart to God. Allow him to show you your Ninevites so that a hard heart can be softened in his compassion and love. And we can begin to extend to others the same grace, the same compassion, the same love. That is our hope and our promise. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, that we would be willing to be laid bare before you. That we'd be honest before you in places that are uncomfortable to, to confess. That we would not allow ourselves to become spiritually arrogant. But your spirit would humble us. 
to remind us not only of our worth and the love that you've poured into our lives and that you offered to us, but that same love that you offer to all people, that they would believe, they would receive your grace and your compassion. Help us to see our Ninevites so that our hearts may be softened and we would follow and have the heart of Christ toward all people. This is our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.